Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Henderson, and I would like to welcome you to the Fourth Branch Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the conversations that matter to all of us. Today, our discussion will be around the reality of bias in our society. How do you think your previous experiences, close friends, co-workers, and those you trust have influenced your views and interpretations of the world around you? Have you ever judged one person based upon the actions of others? If the answer is yes, then I think that the deep questions that everyone must ask are, how were we influenced and how does it affect our lives and the lives of others? In your view, have we collectively reached the dream where content of character finally means more than the color of a person's skin? Is bias, judgment, and differentiation just a part of human nature? How do you know when a decision is based upon racism or bigotry and not simply upon what is best for the situation? As is customary at the fourth branch, we want to know what you think. We encourage you to simply look at the world around you using your own mind and your own experiences. When we discuss a topic, we would like to hear what you think about it. How does it affect you? How does it affect your family? How does it affect your friends, your neighbors? At the fourth branch, we want you to tell us what you see. We are still all in this together. Welcome to the conversation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Fourth Branch Podcast. Uh, my name is Atal Osama, and I am here with my good friend, as always, Brian Henderson. And we are excited that we have a guest with us today. His name is Chris Morgan. And uh, Chris, very, very happy to have you on, man. Please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And what uh, would you like to uh, discuss today? All right. My name is Chris from Morgan. I've known Colleen most of my life since uh, the early 80s. Um, I'm, I work with Uber Security for CSC. Uh, we do big events like the Super Bowl and uh, EDC, Coachella, almost every concert in Southern California, and then uh, work for Instacart and Amazon Flex. So, um, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, we got a wide things we could really talk about. I know earlier, Chris, you were expressing some concern about whether or not football has somewhat of a glass ceiling when it comes to executive positions and, and, and even head coaching positions with regard right. with regard to race. Do you do you still think that that's um, oh, so, something yeah. that we oh, see yeah. in twenty twenty three? Yeah, I mean, you're gonna. It's not gonna change until we actually get more people of color in higher positions. You know what I mean? Because, like, I look at college, you, you got to realize it's over 300 schools in Division One football, whether on the FBS level or the FCS level. And, you know, and, and, and there's more black colleges, or more black college coaches on the FCS level only because there's more of the historical black colleges are on that level. But you still have some in other, you know, mostly predominantly white schools. There's a few black head coaches on on the smaller, you know, level. But there still needs to be more black head coaches. I mean, a top black coach besides Dion in in, in uh, the FC in the FBS is Franklin from uh, Penn State. You know, I mean, we had there uh, what's his name, uh, David Shaw for a while, and, and we had Mel Tucker, but they're gone. You know, you saw what happened to Mel Tucker. Um, and also we had you had a few more. You also had uh, uh, Herm Edwards at Arizona State, which I think he shouldn't have got fired. 
And then uh, you had the guy that he coached at three different schools. The one that was a coach at Texas A&M and uh, Arizona and uh, one other school. Oh, yeah, and you still got Max Strong. Um, where's he now? He's in some other school now. One of the lower level schools. But he's still on the FBS level, though. So it's not that many African-American head coaches. I think we, we still need more. I think they can bring a lot to the table, you know, but I, I think they know they can coach. I don't think that's the problem. I just think it's just still too much politics and, and the way, um, boosters go and alumni go. It's too much of that, you know, still running school because that's the main problem right here at USC. You got a good head coach offensively, but he ain't worth a damn defensively. You know what I mean? His defensive coordinator is horrible. He has not addressed defense. Even when he was at Oklahoma, he didn't address defense. That's why they never were totally successful. They were all, they did well to make it to the big games and make it to the big dance in the playoffs, but they could never win it because they didn't have the defense or defensive personnel and they never recruited. Yeah, but and, that, and but, I blame the head coach. But, but, but can you tie that to this was a decision? These are hiring decisions based upon what the person looks like are, are are those two things related uh i say it's it's going down like i said i think like i said i don't think it's a question that these uh, african-american coaches can't coach like i said i think it's more to deal with who's running the program and i don't mean just the head coach and or the, even the athletic director i mean the president like Jason Play at, at usc you know everybody out here wanted urban meyer but fortunately the little dwarf didn't want Urban Meyer because of what was tagged to him. The, the athletic director wanted Urban Meyer because he got the athletic director from Ohio State. And what happens? Two years after he couldn't get Urban Meyer, he, he ups and resigns. Now we have a female uh, athletic director. So it, all, it, played, it has a lot to do with who the presidents are, who's the board of directors, who's, who's the governor. You know, they get involved too. You know, so it's, it's, it's a lot that goes into it. So I guess my question is, I think you could make an argument that regardless, uh, you know, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you could make an argument that the best qualified person was not offered the job because of how they looked. I, I think you could make that argument then. But can you make that that argument now? Brian, I'm curious to know, what, what, what do you think? Do you think that in the bombastic world of college athletics or even if we look at, at at the at the professional level do you think that business decisions are being made and we are not going to hire the best person because we we want to maintain a certain look or or maintain a certain uh, uh keep a certain segment of our fan base happy i my personal uh thought on that is yes um, you know, because the question is, do I think there's any part of it, right? That is that. And I think, yes, absolutely. That still works. And I think it's because of one principle that people are discussing a lot now. And it's, you know, intrinsic bias, you know, things that maybe you're not consciously saying, I don't want this person, but, uh, I'll give an example. I watched a game <clears throat> the other day and the, the, uh, quarterback, uh, came out on the field and he was, I think they said he was 19 years old. And they said, man, it's amazing. You know, 
how mature this guy looks. Look at him. I mean, when you see him without his helmet on, I mean, the guy looks like a CEO. He looks like an executive. And I've heard that many, many times. Looks like an executive. Looks like a leader. Words are not deceptive. They are what they are. People say what they mean. And I could try my best to look back through all of the years I've ever watched college football. And I've never once heard someone describe a black person as looking like a leader. I've never heard that one time, not to say that it hasn't been said, but I've got, a, I've got a good cross section of football watching and I've heard it a whole lot of times for uh, young white men, but never have I heard that for young uh, black men. And I, I say that not to call everyone racist. I, I say that to say that there is an intrinsic bias that starts at a young age, at an early level in the career, uh, that can, I think, influence how people make decisions. And then more critically, when you say uh, appeasing the fan base, absolutely. Because if you look at, and I'm sorry for calling these programs out, but if you look at the Southern programs, Ole Miss, Alabama, Mississippi, you've got to know that the fan base is not quite as happy <laughs> if, the, if the leadership doesn't look a certain way. Uh, so, but I'm not saying that it's all pure racism because that's where I think you draw the distinction in with that question. Money is involved. And where money is involved, there's people involved. And you've got to try to please the people that might not even think the same way you do. So that's what, kind of where I would look at that. My answer is yes, but maybe not as horrifying as, as people might think. Yeah, I, I I have a hard time believing that a business decision would be made. If you're the athletic director at Alabama or USC or you want uh, Clemson, or you're the general manager of a professional football team, and your job is to field the best product that you possibly can. It doesn't make good business sense to me, I think, to dismiss. This is, this is why the Deion Sanders hire made so much sense to me. He's the best one for the job. And to circle back to, you know, the Chris's original statement, I don't know if it's just a matter of hiring people just for the sake of having more black faces. <laughs> no, it was, that was, like, like Brian said, that was a money decision. They knew if they got Dion, they'll have, they have the money coming. They probably made more money with Dion this one year than they've had. Oh, no doubt about it. Oh, no doubt about it. But yeah, it plays a lot into it, too. Is that to say that these decision makers are intentionally hurting their own product because they don't want a Brian Flores or a, or a, um, the Eric Bieniemy or, or, um, I can't think of, of any up and coming uh, college coaches right now, but is is that the is that what you think? Do you think that someone in that position would intentionally damage their own product? That's the part yeah, that I can't square. Yeah, I, I believe that. You know, I mean, you're seeing that right now with the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're intentionally damaging their product because they want the number one pick. Yeah, they traded their quarterback that should have should have won all but two games this year. If they finish every game. But you're not saying but yeah, that. But you're not problem. saying that they won't make a hire. They won't make a well, hire they, based they, on that. 
They already did. Remember, they got rid of uh, the Kingsbury last year. Well, I thought he did a decent job the whole time he was there, despite not having any experience. Sure. As a head coach. I mean, as a head coach on that level. I mean, he had a head coaching job in college. You know? And to me, I think he did wonders with Kyle Murray. I mean, he had him in college for one year at Texas Tech. It's just they could never finish the season well. Because they were always hurt for the end of the year. So, if they so, weren't hurt, I think it would have been a different story. So, Chris, I'm, I'm trying to ask, are you saying that there just need to be more black faces just because? Um, no, not just because. I think I think we'll get a better product if we have more um, diversity, you know? I mean, I look at what the New York Jets do. Look what they're doing. I mean... They're not the greatest story, but it's a good story. You know, with Robert Sala being a Muslim, you know, he's a person of color. Look how he's changed that, that organization. I mean, he really has changed. Basically, he's, every game he's facing changing the foundation of that organization. I mean, they get more and more attention every week, especially if they win. And even if they don't win, he still has them competing week in and week out. They're not a sad, sad story like they were from the regime before. Because when Adam Gates was there, that was horrible. That was the worst hiring I ever seen for that organization. I mean, that guy was a plain joke in New York and in Miami. I don't even know why he got a head coaching job. And that's another problem you see in the NFL, especially with guys that when they kind of hire coaches, because they want them like Sean, Sean McVay. And a lot of those coaches ain't working out, or they want a, a Belichick clone, and that's not even working out. You see what just happened with Josh McDaniels, which I thought was a, a wrong hire from the start. Because the, the, the interim coach had that team, had the team by the heart. That, that that team wanted to go out all out for that coach. I mean, he had them. He had their heart. That, those guys were ready to die for that coach. And the owner decided to get rid of him for Josh McDaniels, who nobody on that team wanted from the start. And now he realizes, like, oh, I did make a mistake. Well, it's a year and a half too late. You shouldn't have made that change. You should have kept the coach you had. I, I would not credit the Jets' success to the fact that their head coach is a Muslim and a minority. Oh, no, I'm not saying I, th- I think that's completely irrelevant. No, I don't, I don't, I mean, I mean, it's not completely irrelevant. I'm just saying, I'm just taking it as, a, as an example as how, how well he is, how well a coach he is. Because a lot of times they feel like blacks aren't good leaders or they not, they don't have the team, you know? It's, it's, you know how it goes. You know, they always come up with some negative criticism that's not really true. You know, what? You know, and I think Gord was a good coach, but he had integrity and he wasn't about to do what the owner wanted to do. And that's another problem. A lot of these owners, they don't really care if they win or lose. All they want to do is make money. And they'll toss money around left and right to see if this is going to work or that's going to work. And some of them just don't care. They're like, okay, here's the money just so you get out of my hand. What do you think, Brian? I, you know, <clears throat> this not being a subject that I'm extremely well versed on. I, you know, I've just watched football and sports my entire life and seen what I've seen. I'm a, I'm a more I'm a more, I'm a more empirical person. I try to look for evidence based uh, outcomes, or can I find evidence for what I think I'm seeing? <clears throat> and it brings a curious question to me because a few things are obvious. There are a very large number of players that are people of color, as as uh, Chris would say. And 
I would even go as far as to say the majority at this point, if you look at the professional ranks and even down through the division one college ranks in the top 50 schools. Um, Now I'm not saying just because you're a player that translates into you're a good coach one day. Uh, But I, I, I would be very curious as to what the background, if we took every NFL coach and assistant coach right now and every top 25 D1 college coach and assistant coach right now and asked how many of them are former players. I don't have the answer to that question, but they're Mm. in, in that data, I believe it would point to a reality that I think I understand. And it is that everything is a transition. I think like Chris was saying, it's not entirely that it's, you know, the guy is, uh, a Muslim or, you know, that they have success, but it does play a part in that they were open to putting the best person in. But I think the transition is in understanding. It's like, like you said, rewind back to 1960, 1970. All right. Best quarterback is a black guy. No, forget about it. (laughs) Right. And that conversation got changed a little more and a little more, a little more every decade. Sure. Well, now we have all sorts of black quarterbacks all over the college and nobody bats an eyelash. In fact, a lot of fan bases kind of let's I'll just speak with candor on this. A lot of fan bases go, oh, our, darn, our quarterback is not the, <laughs> you know, he's not the guy from last year. And, we, and, you know, but now translate that up further, translate that up into coaching. I think we are witnessing a transition right now where it is partially still true that people are still getting used to the concept of black people in these leadership positions further up than quarterback of the, of the, uh, of, of the team. Uh, I think they're still getting used to it. I don't think we can discount that influence, but I'd love to see the data. You know, I think I'm going to do a little digging because <laughs> I'd love to see the data on it. Like what is the distribution? Because is it that, you know, how can so many black people want to play the sport and love the sport and be involved with the sport, but so few actually make that step? Is it that they're not interested? Is it that they're not? I mean, you know, is it that they expect they won't? Because there's some of that too, right? If you expect you're not going to get hired, then you might not go for it in the first place. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I get off my soapbox. I, I just think there's there's still a portion of it that has to do with the social issues that we're dealing with in this country. How much of it will, 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 will people make that decision? Ah, you know what? I think I want to go six and five instead of 11 and oh, and have this white guy. I don't think anybody has said that. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess for me, man, I like, I have to make corporate decisions all the time, right? I, I, I have to part of, of in my professional life, I have to make decisions that are going to affect the outcome of the business. And I don't have the luxury of infusing my personal bias in uh, the decisions that I make. I may 100% believe that this person is an idiot. But despite my personal belief, and Brian, we've kind of touched on this before, my personal belief it has nothing to do with my professional decisions. Professionally, if this is the best person for the job, that's what the, that's where my decision is going to go. 
because I'm trying to safeguard the business in my profession. And I, I don't doubt that there are personal biases in how people think and feel. I, I don't know if you're ever going to get rid of that. Um, no, you won't. You won't. I mean, Chicago, the Chicago Bears are a prime example of that. Look at the, the decision that picked Mr. Trubisky when you had Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in the same draft. That was a personal decision because the general manager was good friends with Trubisky's father. And you see how that turned out to be a disaster. Is he still the general manager? No, he's fired. He's that, fired. And, that, and that's my point. That that that's my point. It, it, I don't think in in a in any corporate system. I don't think you have the luxury to make those kind of decisions, and that's the reason right. why, because your stakeholders are interested in the product. Right. They're oh, interested in, in in how things look on the field in in this scenario, and the idea that. We just not going to hire this guy is the best qualified. He's perfect for what we want to do, but we're not going to go in that direction because we're trying to maintain a certain image. I just don't think they're in the, in a, and maybe I'm alone in this. The idea that you have a Rooney rule in the NFL and that you have to interview a black person is the, is a terrible idea to me. I, I hate that. It, it doesn't serve. It does not serve the organization not to interview and hire the best person, Wait, does, regardless of what they look like. Does that exist? That's all you need in order to address personal bias. I think. Well, the thing is, we got to look at we got to look at when that rule was implemented. I mean, this rule was implemented. I think we were in high school, just out of high school, and this rule was implemented. Wow. The problem is, it just. It just was a joke because they treated it as so. A joke. So first of all, for for anybody listening, Chris is old. I don't I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I, I'm younger than. Yeah, about three months. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's just. I mean, when the rule was set up, it's like it was a good. It's like that rule. It was just like what Bush did with "Don't leave a child behind." It's a good idea in theory, but it doesn't work. Same thing with the Rooney rule. It was a good idea in theory. But it didn't work because we knew darn well, any black person in America knew darn well, they're like, oh, all I got to do is interview a black person and get them off my back. That's all they were going to do. We knew it was going to be a joke. Now, did it help in some situations? The only real situation it really helped in was the hiring of Mike Tomlin for Pittsburgh. They would have never hired Mike Tomlin if they had to adhere to that rule. That's the only one. Others... They already had a general idea of, uh, when they hired the other black coaches. Like, okay, I really like this guy. I like how he's doing on this team. I like how I talked to other players. I talked to agents. I talked to other executives. Like, yeah, hire this guy. He's a real deal. Oh. He'll, 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 you know, do right by your team. That, that's a bad but example, man. I, I'm, I, I'm a Browns fan, so Mike Tomlin is a terrible hire, and I, I hate that they ever did that. <laughs> No, I ain't no terrible. It was a terrible hire because he didn't get hired by the Browns. But I'm just saying. I mean, it, it, it worked in their situation because they had they weren't even looking at Mike Tom. But for the fact that they had to adhere to that rule, they were able to bring him in. And when they bring brought him in and started talking to him, 
they fell in love with him. They're like, well, hell, this is the best guy out of anybody we interviewed. Yeah, so they, they, and they kept coming back to him, and then finally they hired him. But look at him. He's been the longest tenured coach beside Belichick, and he's been to the Super Bowl, what, three times or two times? Two times, right? Two times and one one, I think, yeah. And never had a losing season, something the Belichick can't say, you know? So it worked in that scenario, but it's not, it's not, it's not sustainable before the fact because you know some organizations are not going to take it seriously. First of all, we know the Cowboys ain't never going to take it seriously. I don't think Jerry Jones will ever hire a black coach. I disagree with that. He's had plenty of time. I disagree I with that. I disagree with that. I don't. I, 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 I disagree with that. I think if the if the best available coach is black, that's what Jerry Jerry Jones wants to win more than any more than anything else. More than anything else, he's had every opportunity. He's hired the most head coaches in the NFL since he's been the owner. Okay, he's had plenty of time, plenty of time. He's owned the team since 1988. Clean. We're talking about 35 years. And he's hired, I think he's hired at least 20 coaches in that time. That's a lot of coaches. He's had plenty of opportunities. <laughs> opportunity to do what? Are you saying that he's not hiring the best ones? I, I don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with any of his other hires. So, so you're, you're trying to say Dave Campbell was the best one? You're trying to say, uh, Against who? You think, you think Garrett was the best we, one? We have to, we have to no. go back and look at the pool. Against who? I, I, I just, mean, he had I, four, he had horrible hires like ever since. I would say, I mean, I don't know some people think Switcher was a bad hire, but Switcher still won the Super Bowl, and the team was successful under him. He hadn't had a good head coach. I mean, even when he hired Bill Parcells, it was just Parcells was past his prime. It was he never had a had a good hire. I mean, right now McCarthy's a decent hire. I mean, I know McCarthy's won a Super Bowl, but you know McCarthy had issues in, in Green Bay, you know, and it led to him being fired. But I'm just saying, he's had plenty of opportunities to hire a black head coach. I mean, plenty. You're you're saying it like you're saying it like that should be the deciding factor. No, I'm not saying this being the deciding factor. But I think he should have hired a black coach by now, though. He's been on in the team for over 35 years, and he's hired the most head coaches than anybody else in the in the NFL. I, I think you know that is statistically relevant. And uh, it, it, it is relevant to the point of raising the question. If you've been, if you've hired 20 plus coaches over 35 years, now if we analyze that data, we can say, okay, wait, and none of them were uh, non-white coaches. Okay, so does that mean it's race-based? No, not at that point. But what you then have to do is dig a little deeper into the data and go to, I think, a question that Kaleem asked against. I agree. So you go back through those 20 hires and say, who were they competing against at the time? Because if the only people, you know, and again, you know, from you know, in in some of the 80s, a lot of the black coaches that were really good didn't even apply because they knew no one's going to give me that job Uh, or they thought that and thus never got the opportunity. So I look at it both ways. And so, but if you start looking into the, you know, mid nineties up until now and see that there has been, you know, a good, a good 40% of the applicants (laughs) were black and not one of them got hired since then, then you have a definite statistical thing that says, okay, something to do with the way these guys look, how close their freckles are had to do with whether, you know, they got hired. Now, again, I'm talking about with the data saying it, 
And 40% of those inter- interviewed, how could we say that none of them ever were more qualified than the other folks? We'd have to actually look at who they were. I'm just saying to be conclusive, we'd have to know who the competition was and be able to say, ah, okay, right here in this one, hands down, this one was much better than the other and didn't get hired. And I messed up earlier. It's not intrinsic bias. That's what I call it, intrinsic, but they call it uh, softer, implicit bias. Uh, <laughs> it's what I was saying earlier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think you have to always stop and look like you're in a court of law almost when you talk about these things and be very careful, you know, because a lot of in these conversations, as we all know, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. It's not what you think. It's what can you prove? You know, if you can't prove it, you might as well not even say it. Uh, Right. But there are things that we all know. When you bring up corporate America, let me let me get 30 more seconds. When you you bring up corporate America, I've been in part of corporate America since. uh, Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say this out loud. I've been a part of corporate America since 1998. And I can tell you for sure that implicit bias plays a big part in who gets chosen and who doesn't get chosen uh, in many cases. And does the better, more qualified person get the position? I can only I can use one data point, and that's myself, uh, and just say that. I competed with a guy that was the exact same age as I am. The only thing he was was yeah. about three inches taller than me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, he had less leadership experience than me. Uh, and I can say this on two different occasions in my career. I well, The one guy had no degree whatsoever at all. Uh, and they gave him the uh, promotion instead of me. When everyone in the group was saying, oh, yeah, it's you hands down. It's you hands down. But as soon as we would go to lunch, or around that corner where there's no cameras and no one's listening, they look look me right in the eye and go, man, it's not quite likely. <laughs> They're not going to let you into that position. And so I've, and, and, and with, and with others, I'll put it that way. So I know that in corporate America, um, corporate world, you could even say, because what doesn't corporate America influence if it's got corporate on it, it does matter. It absolutely does matter. It is factored in. It's something that we have to fight against. It's something that we we have to fight against two sides of it, though. Like I said, we have to fight against the urge to say, I shouldn't even try because they're not going to. Ex-. No, you're just defeating yourself and then blaming something that hasn't proven itself yet. But we also have to go uh, very hard towards what we want, you know, whether it's uh, corporate leadership, whether it's sports leadership. And the one other thing I'll say before I step back down off the, this thing is in corporate, in the corporate world, yeah, you don't often have the luxury of making those decisions like that. But in the athletic yeah. world, where a lot of people are making millions of dollars a year and they're, they're not so concerned about whether you fire me tomorrow. And in many cases, it is the top guy. Because one thing we also know about corporate America, it's top down. If the top guy is a jerk, the organization filters jerk down through it all the way to when Agreed. you get to supervisors Agreed. on the floor. So, you know, it's like there's some, so some of the people who are making these decisions behind the scenes are unheard. They have the luxury of being completely biased. And, and, and the, I think the, the term, how the product looks on the field or looks on the sidelines 
is still very important to a lot of people. I'm not going I won't point fingers and say I know for sure who. But in this day and age, I I I'm I'd be willing to bet my retirement that <laughs> if everybody turned blue that was biased in that way in the athletic world, we we'd have a neon uh night one night to turn out all the lights. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I you know, I um uh uh, it's funny you bring that up. I I, I had to take a implicit block, an implicit bias awareness training uh, module uh, about a month ago, uh, and um, clearly I, I retained none of it. Um, I think the point that, and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think the point that Chris was was trying to make was that this was explicit bias. This is. And, and to use his Jerry Jones example, Jerry Jones had an opportunity to hire a better candidate and chose not to explicitly because he did not want to hire someone that was, he didn't want the, the, the leader of his program to be uh, a non-white person explicitly. And if it's, if it's implicit in, in subconscious, I, I think we all have that. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't think you could get away with our, our current culture, that kind of explicit discrimination. I and mean, that's, uh, that's just the way it, it would appear to me. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Chris, but is, is that where in your, in your Jerry Jones example, is that where you were, were going with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going with it because I, and he's not the only team. I'm not saying, I'm not just singling him out. I'm just, Stating obvious because he's had ample opportunity, and I mean you got to realize he took over the team even before Tony Dungy was the head coach. And you see what he did with two franchises, how well he did with them. Mike Tomlin, Herm Edwards. So two, two, two. These were black head coaches that 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 were successful coaching at the team. Now, now all of them won a Super Bowl, but they were successful getting them to the to the playoffs and had a winning record when they left the organization. And to Brian's point, were those men available at the point of hire and were they the best candidate in the pool at the time? And and I and I, I agree with Brian. I think you need those two pieces of data in order to be able to make a call because it's easy to look at it in retrospect and say, oh yeah, you know, we should have went, he could have went here and, and, and he could have went there. But what was his uh, options at the moment? Who, who, what pool did he have to choose from? I just find it hard to think that he would sabotage his team to that degree. I just find that hard to believe. Well, I don't, I don't think he's too, he, he's too, he's too, he's too, he, he wants to be I'm, successful. I'm, I'm, racist ideology and racist 
tendencies. You know what I mean? I, I, well, I think it's it's tough to say what he specifically has because neither none of us know him. But I'll take it back to take it. You know, the micro mirrors the macro. What happens on the smaller level mirrors what happens on the large. Take it down to were college coaches whose jobs were dependent on winning games, how many of them and for how long turned into losers because they did not want black players on their teams. So when we say, why would they take the chance or it's not, they don't have the luxury. These types of biases have proven over and over again to transcend what we would all, the rest of us, you know, the people who don't care about color and just want the best guy, it transcends the concepts that we think of. We, it, it doesn't make any sense. And again, but but what you said, it was also true, uh, Kaleem. You know, after a while, they were just like, you know what? I'm tired of my basketball team losing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're, you know, it seems that, and I'm going to make a put a qualifier here because I don't want to, perpetuating stereotypes. It seems like this group of people that has participated on the sidelines in this very cheap and affordable sport are pretty darn good at it now. And we're not letting them play on our teams and they're kicking our butts. So after a while, it became, you know what? You know, yeah, it is my job. And you know what? I better start winning. And it's going to, I think, you just raise that up level after level after level, and it's the same type of reticence. It's the same type of reticence. I, I applaud that, though, man. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the idea of there's never been we don't let black people play baseball, and oh, you know what? That's just wrong, and we need to, we need to <laughs> do right. Okay, we're gonna let y'all play. I don't like that narrative. Right. I like the narrative of I want to win. Mm-hmm. And he can help us win. I don't care what he looks like. Let me go sign Jackie Robinson because I want to win. To me, I would think that societally, if you want to get past the idea of um, racist ideologies and look past what someone looks like and judge them on who they are and what they can do, that is exactly, and, and not to pick on you, Chris. I'm saying this because I hear this a lot. I hear this uh, romantic notion that Jerry Jones didn't do this and he had the opportunity to as though he has an obligation to black people, as though he should have just just to say that, yes, I'm not racist. I'm going to hire a black person. And I, and I, I disagree with that premise. And I, I think that's where my heart burned. My heartburn is if Jerry Jones is not hiring black people and is not hiring the best person available simply because they're black, then he's a poor owner. He's not a racist. He's a poor owner. He's not doing what's best for his business. And the the fact that, that yes, we can look historically and, and see where those kinds of decisions were being made. But I'm hard pressed to find to think that in the last 25, 30 years anybody is is explicitly choosing not to hire at any level anywhere anywhere in the climate that we have right now there's not a gas station owner anywhere that's in a position 
to get picky about who wants to work for them so much so that I don't want this type of person. I don't want that type of person because they need people to hire. Even if they can't stand this uh, blue haired uh, transsexual, they don't can't stand that personally. But you know what? I need to hire someone and their business need overrides their personal biases. And I would hope that that's the way that we move past these kind of discussions because it's just better holistically for us as a society. You know, kind of switch gears a little bit. Anybody who voted for Barack Obama just to have a black president did a, you, you're doing a disservice to the system. If you didn't vote for him because you thought he was the best candidate, how does that help anything? How, how does that help? He should have won based on what he's able to do, right? I mean, that's what we're saying, right? Yeah, but, but unfortunately, you had people that really did, especially black people and, 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 uh, and people of color that voted for him for that reason and thinking that he was going to do this and that for him. But what a lot of people don't understand, too, is he had a whole lot of white folks that voted for him. Because they believed in what he was, what he was putting and out. What in what in his platform? Yes, yes, one hundred percent. And and then people, you know, I get tired when I hear black say, "Well, he didn't do nothing for black." I said, "Well, if you had listened to his speech on, on the night <laughs> you would have understood why some of the things didn't get done." He said we would not get there because we were so far in the hole. It was going to take, and we're still out of it. You know, that's why stuff is so darn high right now. All the stuff that Bush did, you know? I mean, even Trump struggled with it. You know what I mean? Even when he took over trying to do, do what he wanted to do, he also realized, well, damn, man. You know, because he could have easily got rid of Obamacare, but he realized, well, if I get rid of Obamacare, a whole lot of people going to be... No, that he, no he, he, couldn't have, he couldn't have easily gotten rid of it. They, they tried. They no, tried. I mean, he tried. I just said he didn't try. But he also realized, too, when he did try, like, oh, wait a minute, I can get rid of some of it, but I can't get rid of all of it. You know, good enough, he got rid of all of it, he was going to hurt the damn That helped him get elected. He realized, well, shoot, I'm going to mess myself up. I got to throw a flag. You know, I mean, <laughs> when I saw that, I said, okay, he realizes it's still pretty good for us, for a majority of Americans. I'm not going to get rid of all of it. I'm just getting rid of this little stuff that we really don't need, which, you know, it, it's, you could debate that, too, if you needed it or not. You know, but I mean, he just, you can see that was like one of the moments that he really, you know, he did do something like half decently, you know, because there's a lot of other stuff he didn't do, right? We could debate all that too, but I'm just saying that's, you know, you got to realize. I, I, you know, I, what I'd say is um, <laughs> I, if I start out, start in on politics, it's not going to stop. So I'm just going to leave that right where it's Right, starts. right. <laughs> and, and just, I'm going to say, uh, yes. You're right, both of you, uh, on that. And I'm going to leave that right there where it is. Uh, as far as the romantic concept that you, you mentioned, Kaleem, you know, and it goes back to, again, who's the best candidate? You know, the whole content of character, not color of skin, right? I think that is the romanticism because that's where we are clearly not at. Um, and I think we have a long way to go before we actually get there. Um, and I, I, I believe that, yes, that's what I would do, right? I can say that. That's what I would do if I started a business. 
I want to hire the best freaking people that can do the job, the people that I think I can depend on and are, can, can, can carry out the tasks I need them to carry out. I wouldn't care if the person was gay, if the person had blue hair, if right. the person was white, uh, Asian, whatever. I don't care. I want right. business stable and running well. Um, however, again, what I would say is what good people, why good people, if you look at the world around us, why good people tend to lose is because the, the bad, bad people, you know, and I'll just say evil. I'll say evil people always have an advantage over good people. Good people never can quite conceive of the capability of those evil people. They can't conceive it. It doesn't make any sense. It's not right. How could they do it that way? But they do. And that's what always catches good people by surprise. And that's why a lot of times when you when something terrible happens, you always hear people going, oh, my gosh, that's surprising. But if you you, you talk to them off the camera, they're going to say, no, I'm not surprised at all. Like I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't think they would really do yeah. it. They would stoop to that level. And all I can say is in, in my view of this world and the people in it. Seriously, I'm willing to go to 97, 98 percent of the people in this world just want a fair shot and they'll give a fair shot. But there's very, very influential p group of people in every group of people and within the group of black people, within white people, within Asian people within, that are just plain racist, biased, and they just don't want to let go of it. And people in each one of those groups will tell you, oh, yes, we have those people. And unfortunately, a lot of them are still in positions of authority. They're in hiring authority. They're in, they're in leadership. They're, and, and they cause problems. And they cause those problems still. Sports is like the canary in the coal mine for everything else in the world. I mean, yeah, you, you bring up a good point, man. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a young lady that is... Uh, uh, we're hoping to have on the, on the show soon. And, and one of the things that she wants to talk about is the good old boy system, right? And from her perspective as a woman, how hard it is, um, to get treated fairly, get a fair shake, mm. how difficult that is in that environment. And she's not talking about, you know, from 40 years ago. This is, you know, stuff that she experienced last year. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I I have to concede uh, that some of that, th there's some of that, that that does exist. I just, I just not necessarily believe in people so much as you can still, you can be selfish and self-serving. And if these actions help you, why would you harm yourself in the name of trying to support some, some ideology in that night? But but I, I take your point. I do. I, I I take your point. Well, you got people that still do that though, Kaleem. I mean, you got people on both sides of the aisle that does that though. You know, do do that and still hurt themselves. Vote against their their you know their uh, wishes and needs really because they like a certain candidate. And I think that's wrong. You know, you should be voting for the best person for the job. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened in a long time. For certain positions. Yeah, I, you know, it's, uh, you've been in California too long, Chris. You got, uh, you, you got <laughs> oh, this West man, Coast. Oh, man. Yeah. No, it's not a West Coast thing. You know, <laughs> I, in, I, and I know this isn't a, you know, politics discussion, but in a representative democracy, you're supposed to have differences in thought, opinion, priorities, objections, 
considerations, you're supposed to have that. This, this idea, this notion that everybody is supposed to think the same or that there's just one way to go at it. This is what the absolute truth is on a particular issue scares me. And I don't care who, I don't care which end of the spectrum is promoting that. I don't like the idea of, uh, we all need to think about this the same way or we all need to look at it the same way. That sounds scary well, to me. That, that sounds like, like China. Well, the, the thing is, is that's, that's, I mean, yeah, that's scary. Like you said, it's also like, oh, saying go, you know, you know, like they said, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And you can use that for anything because everybody sees things so differently. I mean, husbands and wives see things differently. Brothers and sisters see things differently. Cousins and aunts, uncles and uncles, and grandmothers and grandmothers. Everybody sees something differently. And like you said, it, it's scary if you want everybody to be on the same page. Because now, that's, I mean, I mean, I don't even want to really think about that. You know what I mean? It, difference is what makes us whole. You know, we have to work through our differences. We have to bring a different thing to the table. When we bring the same thing over and over and over, you know, it's... It's, it, it's not going to work. And I mean, we've seen right now, like, I think the, our biggest problem is now is that we have these new generations coming in and they're coming in with their ideas that the older generation just totally just hates. So it's, we have to find a happy place between both people. You know what I mean? Not just people, but everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's new. I think if, uh, if we, if I mean, we, could, if we could new, go back to 92, I think, uh, the, the 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 older generation at the time were looking at us like we were insane, um, and, and in some well, res- in some respects, rightly so. <laughs> but the only thing is, though, Clint, during that that older generation at that, that moment was like it wasn't like a total hate thing. It was more like we ain't ready to give up our spot yet. And I mean that's true today too, but it's like it's at a whole different level now. I mean it's. It's like, dude, really? Why do you really care? You about to be gone in a, a year, from year to five years from now. You know, let us have our time. Let us do what we need to do. And I get it. It's you know, like you said, it's that you can see that in any generation. But it's just, it's so much at the eighth degree, and I think it's because of social media. Because it's, it, they have a platform. Everybody has a platform, and everything gets blown out of proportion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you see all these videos now, like with Candace Owens and um, what's that? That uh, Name Ferguson and Roland Martin and uh, the, the, the guys from my, uh, Media Touch and, and uh, the Dollar Guy, all those guys on YouTube and stuff, right? They always debating all this stuff. But a lot of that stuff is like, are we really debating about what somebody wants to do to themselves or what they want to do this and this and that? Well, we should be debating the issue at hand, like what what's going on with the war, what's going on with homelessness, what's going on with our votes, what's going on. What are rights? Yes, you know what I mean? I mean, some of them are, are doing that, but a lot of times it's like you see the videos, it's all harp on something that we, we don't really need to be talking about, really. Just, you know, it's more of a personal issue than, than a people issue, you know? Yes, indeed. That is a surrogate battle. That's what they call those. And we are, <clears throat> that's what you're talking about is right on point. I mean, it's, we're being directed towards what's called surrogate battles, surrogate arguments. Meaning there are clearly things in our society that are so weird and strange and unnecessary for us to put so much emphasis into, for our government to put so much force behind. 
And it's making everybody fight because they're obvious things that everybody's not going to agree on. They're, they're, they, they hit fundamental physical and mental barriers for people. Um, they're, they're evolutionarily, if you buy that, uh, uh, toxic concepts, but they have nothing to do with what's really wrong with the world. They, they start us arguing over whether, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad enough. And I'll just say it wasn't bad enough for us to argue about whether a man wanted to marry a man. They could, it, it, that didn't work well enough. The people who said, I'm never going to be with that just said, I'm not. And that was it. So they, then they had to go and mess with children. Okay. They had to take the surrogate battle to another level, something where people have a hard time turning their attention away from it and saying, wait a minute, I don't have anything to say something about that. I got to, you're talking about children here, but it takes away from how much was the rent? How much was the, the interest right. rate? Right. How much was the, the dinner for the family the other night? You know, all of those things that we really should be asking these people. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop here. I'll say this. You know better about what a thing cares about and is going to do anything about what's really important to it. Not so much by what it says and does, but by looking at what it never says and never does. Yeah, I like that, man. I, I think that we have I, I want to circle back to uh, you know something that Chris was was alluding to a minute ago. I, I'm, I'm trying to bring this back to uh, <laughs> to the bias discussion that we, we were having earlier. I really think that we have some societal barriers to what we really consider to be acceptable. And I think part of the challenge is, you know, do you really have the luxury to call for diversity in the areas where you're comfortable? Do you have the, do you have the right to call for equality on the uh, issues that you feel require equality? Because it's a lot of cognitive dissonance sometimes where a person who they are against abortion but pro vaccine so do you do you believe in bodily autonomy or not on the one issue they like the idea of a person being able to have control over their body but on another issue they don't like the idea of a person having control over their body and and i, I i've noticed a lot of that kind of dissonance and disagreement and I, we don't have to get into all of that right now but um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's part of the challenge of being in a open and free society. And this is kind of why, uh, you know, Brian and I want to foster these kind of discussions for the, for the very point, Chris, that you were making that you're right. Why are we talking about, uh, issue A or issue B or issue C instead of the things that really, really matter to people and um it's hard unfortunately or at least when i try to find those kind of dis discussions they're hard to find it's real easy to find a conversation about hunter biden's laptop or, or whether or not donald donald trump may have been a, a a shady business person in the 80s that's that's not hard to find but right but I mean, I just, I, I, it's, it's off, it's off subject, but it's, it is, it is such a frustration and a pet peeve of mine. Donald Trump is 
was the quintessential real estate mogul in the most cutthroat real estate market in America. And you are surprised that he may have had some questionable practices at some point. To, what are we talking about here? What, what does that have to do with anything? Why is this front page news every day? I, I don't care. I don't care any more than I care about what any other New York real estate mogul may have been doing trying to get a leg up in that cutthroat market. I, I, I just I don't see the relevance in it. And, but I digress. That's. That, that's the conversation for another well, yeah, day. Well the, well, the thing is, it's just, you know, like, you know, that's not going to put food on the table for somebody that doesn't have a job. It's not going to create jobs. It's not going to help our economy. You know what I'm saying? We're hashing over stuff that's, every, you know, anybody who's alive there knew, knew darn well what he was doing. And not just him, anybody else that was in that damn business, you know? Right. And, and it's just, you know, the problem is a lot of these young people don't know none of that because they weren't alive. And they weren't taught that because... Each generation in school now is getting taught less and less than the previous generation. And you know that. All you got to do is talk to your parents. And you know good and well you don't know any, not even, probably even half of what they knew. Well, that, but there's a trade-off for that, though. That, that, that That's another discussion we can unpack another day. But there's a trade-off for that. They didn't have the technology. You had to know it because you didn't have the same technology available that's that's available today. But that uh, that's a, another well, d- discussion we, yeah, we can you have. Didn't have the- you know what amazes me guys like of all of this you know what i think is the most important point we can take from all of this i want what? you guys to tell me what the 80s and 90s are like because you guys are old man i'm telling you what how do you <laughs> where, where is this coming from <laughs> yeah <laughs> what were the 80s and 90s like I'm not, one day just sit me down and tell me about <laughs> it that's goodness gracious Woo. You, you just had to. You just had to be there. That's all I'm gonna say. You had. You had to be there. No, he was there. I'm saying to anyone who might be asking that question. Rumors. Rumors. You just had to be there. You just had to be there. Sorry, you missed the show. Yeah, it was a show, all right. Uh we are at an hour, gentlemen. Um, all right. I, I appreciate uh, the both of you. I'd like to give you. Uh, the opportunity to close uh, out with any closing thoughts. I know we've had kind of a wide ranging discussion. I, I thought it was good, and and, and I appreciate both the uh, the candor from both of you. I guess my closing thought on this would be, <clears throat> you know, because the objective that we have here with this uh, this endeavor is to make good communication happen. I think uh, Kaleem said it best. The answer to poor speech is not you know, more poor speech or canceling it, it's better speech. You know, people need to talk to each other. People need to do, and before they speak, before the speech, do the empirical research, figure out what exactly happened to the best of your ability, you know, and, and, you know, I'm joking about how old I am. I'm as old as both of you guys, Uh, you know, so it's, it's about doing the research, finding out what really happened, Finding out what's really going on before weighing in on it and maybe pushing buttons that make everybody stop, you know, because once you once you say and we all know this is frustrating. Once you say racism, you've just lost 50 percent of the white people in the room. Exactly. Number one, you got to put yourself in the shoes of a white person because, okay, I'm a white person. I'm not racist. I've never done anything racist before. But when everybody brings that word up, people start looking my direction like you know, I qualify, you know, and you just want to get away from that 
if you can imagine, more than being a part of it. So we got to be careful throwing that out. But if you say to them, 30 plus years, you know, 20 hires. Now let's go look, like I said before, let's go look under the hood and see what was actually there. Now you can get them to walk with you. Now you can get somebody to look and say, oh, you know what? You're not accusing me. You're not throwing things out. You're not just randomly saying this. You, you know, it's, it's a discussion. And oh, wow, look at that. The evidence says no black people ever apply. <laughs> so, so you're dead wrong. <laughs> right. Or the evidence right. says, my goodness, four of the greatest coaches in the history of football applied and they didn't get hired, you know, but one way or the other, the discussion has to be done. And before everyone leaves the table in any discussion, they should be able to shake hands. Because if they can't, that discussion was not productive. I, I was trying to hear the last part. I couldn't hear because it was a little static on my end. But I heard him say something about, you know, the racism. And, you know, like, you got to be careful what, you know, putting that word out. Is that right? Was that what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. If, if you were having trouble hearing him, yeah, he, his, uh, I don't want to paraphrase everything that he just said. But, yeah, the the, the idea of. It may look one way to you, but your subjective view may not be what's actual in reality. And um, it's important to have dialogue and discussion and to do research so that you can know what the actual case is and not make snap judgments uh, about people based upon your subjective view or your limited information. Um, I, I apologize if I paraphrase too much, Brian, but that uh yeah, I, I, I got to just yeah i mean i agree with him too you know um you know like you said i heard him say that you know yes i'm looking from a white person's perspective too because you know a lot of them not they don't spend a lot of time around it not a lot of them i mean there's a lot to do but not i i i, I think that that depends on where you are i, I don't i don't know about that well, but that, but go ahead well, that, that, but i'm just saying there's a lot of them that don't like they you, you can kind of get a sense of the ones that have never even been around us, okay, the way they act around us. But it's like you say, it's basically like you can't judge a book by its cover. You gotta, you, you kind of have to have patience to realize if they're being racist or not. I mean, I've done it myself. You know, there's times where I've gone and tried to go handle business, and the way they get, the way their body language is given to me, like, okay, they're giving me kind of that, to me, a racial vibe, right? Like, they, they're, they're just not going to give me my money like I need. Because I'm black or something like that, I could probably say that, you know. But I have to realize, okay, just be patient because they're probably just doing their job. You know, they're not being racist; they're just doing their job and following protocols that they have to follow in order to get you where you need to be. And then when you be patient, you see that they weren't like that. You'd be like, okay, yeah, I was wrong. Okay, I, I could be mad. You, you know, I, I, if you have an opportunity, I, I would love to to for the three of us to sit down again. You just, you just brought up an amazing point. Why, in that scenario, why was your initial assumption that this was uh, race-based discrimination or hatred? Of why was that your initial discussion, uh, assumption? And then for you to... I have experienced racism firsthand. No, 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 no. no. I, I'm not asking you to defend it now. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just curious. I'm, I'm just curious as to why... Yeah, why, why, why that might be the case. Um, but uh, I, I want to... That's the problem with a lot of us because, you know, you never know. And then also, too, it can also happen from you being tough. So, so I... We do emulate what our parents do, you know, 
in some shape or form. I, I think that's worth un- unpacking at, uh, at a later time. So that, that that's an interesting point. But uh, I, I don't want to. I want to be respectful of you guys' time. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Chris. Um, I think this uh, has been a fantastic discussion, man, and, and I really do uh, appreciate you guys. So thank you both. Thank you, and thank All you, right, Chris. Nice, nice talking to you, Brian. Same here, man. Hello, everyone. This is Brian. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to support us and our mission to foster real dialogue, you can find us on most major social media sites, including Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, Instagram, X, Threads, and TikTok. Just search for the 4th Branch Podcast with a numeric 4. Please reach out to us if you have a comment or an idea for a show. We mean it when we say we want to hear from everyone and we're serious about including you in the conversation. Got a topic that you're passionate about? Let's talk about it. We'd love to get you on the show and allow you to express your views. Once again, thanks for listening. Can't wait to talk to you soon.